coming to the end of a, our first full day and night together on this retreat. Starting of the retreat last night, what we were experiencing as we were arriving, settling in, is a memory. We can reflect on that, those images or those impressions as they arise. We are remembering, starting, or the, some of the myriad experiences that have happened in the course of last night and the day, some of which can be very compelling. They're memories. Wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. Will I have a blazing insight? Ah, probably not on day two. Maybe, maybe day four. God, it could happen and then I would just sit there in bliss and the hall would empty out and come back, I'd still be sitting there. Half smile on my face even through the night. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) The future's unknown, maybe. Maybe I'll get depressed. (laughs) Have to go home. A failure. Speculation, can we, can we recognize that? Future hasn't happened. So it's speculations. It'd be good to get enlightened before the end of the Mayan calendar. <laughs> Speculation. Past is a memory, the future is unknown. And now is the knowing, said our teachers in the monastery, day after day. Now is the knowing. We can know a memory. We can know future speculation. Remembering this heart is luminous, said the Buddha. Pabhasara jitta, the jitta, the heart is pabhasara. It's radiant, it's luminous, it's spacious. But we lose touch with it. We don't recognize it when we're so mesmerized and enchanted by what moves through the heart. The memories, the future speculations. The Saturday night Dharma talk.
We're focusing on the primarily in these days on the meditative aspect of this path of awakening that the Buddha realized and laid out for us. Where we're focusing on the meditative aspect of it. There are other aspects that we're not highlighting so much, but it's good to put it in perspective. This, this path of awakening, the foundation of it that, that the Buddha taught is, is ethical living. It's really hard to wake up to the inherent luminosity of things when we imagine that happiness comes by just getting what we want. I don't care what it, impact it has on you. I want it. Get out of the way. That kind of greed or aversion, you're in my way, smash. When we're lost in greed and aversion, it's, it's where we're imagining that happiness is through grasping and getting rid of. The foundation of the path is, 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 is ethical living, living harmlessly in a way that tries not to consciously harm beings at least being sensitive to our impact on each other, sensitive to the property, trying not just to take what's not really offered for us, sensitive to our powerful, sensual nature, sensitive that we're not exploiting ourselves or someone else sexually just for my gratification and not being aware of if we're harming someone just for what I want in this moment. Sensitive to the power of speech, learning to speak truly, gently, wisely, appropriately, to reveal the truth, to warn, to to clarify rather than to use speech to just distort, to divide, to mislead. Treasuring our consciousness, the instrument of awakening, realizing that this consciousness is what sees clearly and can reveal how we're perpetuating suffering for ourselves and another. When the consciousness is more clear, we can recognize the maladaptive patterns, the compulsive, confused patterns that we think are making us happy but which are just causing trouble. So ethical living is about abandoning harming, training ourselves to abandoning exploiting ourselves and each other, abandoning the false speech, the harsh, unskillful speech, abandoning thinking intoxication will get us to Nibbana. It'll get us to a temporary pleasing state. But in that state, we make all sorts of assumptions about things that aren't true. Harm our body in the process. That's the ethical foundation. That ethical foundation in our daily life already involves mindfulness to even know whether we're doing something that's harming someone. As we live ethically, then then we're not doing so many things that 
calls all sorts of repercussions back. That naturally leads to the meditative work which we're doing. Because when we sit down here, guess what? We remember what we say and what we do. So just to put this meditative practice in perspective. The meditative work calms the mind, brightens the mind, and makes the mind more powerful, more steady. And then the flowering of the path of awakening is what's called wisdom. Seeing things for what they really are. Abandoning our false notions about things. Waking up. Recognizing that true, timeless, radiant, peaceful stillness at the heart of everything. Recognizing the true, impermanent nature of things. Not demanding that what is unstable and impermanent, not demanding that it be other than what it is, because that's how conditions are. They're fragile. So the path is sometimes, the Buddha oftentimes talked about the path activity, this activity of, yes, the truth is always here and now, but it takes effort. That's called path activity to little by little abandon the blinders abandon the, the habits that keep making us think happiness is really somewhere else. Peace is really somewhere else. So that activity is sometimes talked about in a three-part way. Ethics, meditation, wisdom. What the Buddha called sila, virtuous restraint, ethics. Samadhi, what the Buddha called samadhi, cultivating steadiness of heart. Panya, what the Buddha called panya, wisdom, liberating wisdom, which brings the light of understanding into the darkness of all sorts of assumptions we make about ourselves and others. It is said that one of the great forest masters of Thailand, Ajahn Lee, said that this part we're focusing on here is the hardest part in a way. It's all challenging. But there's something quite tangible about ethics. Okay, it's hard to do, but you know, it's pretty tangible, trying not to harm. Okay, our mouth gets us in real trouble and it just talks, 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 but you can, oh, you can at least recognize when we're speaking. That wasn't true. Begin again. Once there is a steady mind, the last part, wisdom, is actually not very difficult. When the mind is steady, it's like a hot plate. It's like an iron, cast iron wok or stove. If you drop, if it's really heated up and you drop a drop of water on it, it's there and When our mind is composed, our worries, our doubts, our thoughts, oh gosh, I'm so terrible. The thoughts so obviously there and shh, it's 
gone. It's so flimsy. I'm letting this little bubble, oh God, you're a hopeless case, Kitty Sorrel. When, my, when our mind is composed, this little bubble, why am I getting mesmerized by a bubble? It's so obvious when the mind gets real composed, if we really turn it to the changing nature of things, the day which is bright and then dark, the feelings which are pleasing and then boring and then difficult and then oh, the pain subsides, the thoughts which keeps coming and going, when the mind is composed, it's so obvious that life is a cascading change. It's obvious that we can't find stability by demanding that this life, conditioned life, be stable. I mean, how can it be? It can snow, it can rain, it can flood, it can earthquake, it can, the economies can fail, we can go and get sick. We do go and get sick. They go and get sick. But cultivating the composed mind, why is it most difficult? It's, it's because the, all, in the midst of all these changes, we're, we're learning how to develop a steadiness in the midst of change. That meditative works hard. The image that this forest master gave was, it's like building a bridge with three pillars. I don't know what, I'm not an engineer. But uh, what do you call the pylon, or what would you call it, supports? One's on the shallow water on this side of the river, one's in the shallow water on the other side of the river, and then the central one right down through the fastest, deepest current. I don't know, pillar, pylon, forgive my engineering. Hmm? Piers, thank you, piers. I don't even know if this monk was an engineer either. But he said the one in the shallow water is easier to sink. It's like virtue on this side, the wisdom on the other side. But the central one through the deepest currents, most challenging, because the current's fastest. In this meditative work, we're working on the central. And the current, what are the currents? All oh, the thoughts that we have, the longings to get more peaceful, the aversions, oh God, that memory again, oh, that pain, I thought it was done with that. The fatigue, the lurching forward to try to get there, the recoiling from what we don't want, the sleepiness, the heaviness, the effort to try to get us going again, the collapse, the discouragement the determination. But we're practicing that. The Buddha called this this, uh, aspect of the path the cultivation of samadhi. S-A-M-A-D-H-I. It was the word he used. When he was asked what does that word mean, he used the phrase chitta-kagata. Chitta means a heart. Eka means one. In samadhi practice, we're learning to unify. 
cultivate a unified state. Chitta Kakata. And as I was laying out this morning, the the way in which we're developing this is cultivating mindfulness. It's actually which the Buddha called sati, or remembering, linking, linking what's happening now with the ground of awareness, being mindful of sitting. That means connecting the experience, the bodily experience of sitting, those sensations with that ground of awareness. Steadying that connection through effort. It takes effort because of all these habits to be distracted, to forget what we're doing, to find it boring and want to go somewhere else. We need what the Buddha called atapi or sometimes translated as being ardent. It means devoted, some sort of persistence to keep coming back. Devoted to what? To this quality of wanting to be present for our life. Some people who don't really understand think, oh, going on retreat, you're just running away from life. Tanisha last night in her opening talk said, well, it might look like that. Yes, we're withdrawing. There is a withdrawing from certain of our ordinary activity. But it's for the sake of cultivating essential relationship, primary relationship. It's not just, could be running away, but it's, if it's used properly, it's not just running away. It's getting to the heart of the matter, the root of the matter. We might wish, oh, I want to be at peace with all beings, able to love and be loved. Those are lovely sentiments. And it might happen spontaneously for moments, or if you're a very, very saintly being, and then you're, you can just bless us. That's wonderful keep emanating. We need it. But for most of us, our tendencies are grasping and rejecting and going dull and being distracted. We have to cultivate how to be in relationship. This practice here, we're uh, learning how to be able to attend to and stay with the body, which moves more slowly, the resonance is more slow. We might want to have all sorts of nice relationships, but if we can't, have we practiced it? Have we practiced being able to be with in a steady way something? One master said this art of meditation is, 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 is cultivating the capacity to be realistic. We're deepening our capacity to be with. 
the essence of relationship is, is attention, opening to something, staying with something. In this particular case, the Buddha discovered in his own awakening, this mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the breathing was the very practice the Buddha did on his own night of awakening. The very same practice that we've been practicing today. And how does that practice lead to unification? This is important. Remember this practice is not just about shutting things out. We might think that. Oh gosh, if I just didn't see things, just too many noises. Sometimes we might imagine, well then if we just, each of us had in the suggestion box we could put in the IMS, we each, each person, you know, for the future. They should have their own sensory deprivation tank. And, and each of us could have a manager adjusting the temperature. We could move a little finger to a little warmer, a little cooler. And then when you get the itching, who's going to scratch and it's cooler than it should be warmer, and it's warmer than it should be cooler. You still got the mind. Actually, this, this samadhi, the Buddha said, we can't develop samadhi unless we learn how to bear things. That's why I'm talking about cultivating primary relationship. He said, we need to learn how to bear sides, bright and dark and sounds, pleasing sounds, displeasing sounds, smells, tastes, sensations, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, sensations. If our samadhi, our collectedness of being is only by just kind of getting rid of, getting rid of, getting rid of, it's, it's a very fragile samadhi. We're actually learning how to notice, ah, it's like this now, relax with it. And how is it unifying? In this practice, we're taking the different dimensions of our being and bringing them together. What are the different dimensions of our being? The, the, the Buddha talked about the three dimensions. There's our thinking mind, isn't there? What the Buddha called speech, but speech is actually, I mean, what we think we speak. It's the thinking mind that he's referring to in speech. We have thoughts that can conceive of tomorrow and conceive of yesterday, conceive of what we like, conceive of what we don't like. There's the bodily dimension, the formal dimension. And then there's the heart, that which feels, that which resonates and responds, likes and doesn't like, recoils and longs for, that which resonates with, extends, that which knows. The heart is the centrality, the depth. So the heart, the body, Sometimes it's called body, speech, and mind. But really that's body, thinking mind, and heart. 
These are the three dimensions. Oftentimes they're really fragmented. Thought just carries us away. We, most of us just get caught up in loops and loops of thought. They take us over here, take us over there. Sometimes we don't even realize we have a body until it starts hurting or wanting something. Oftentimes we're very unconscious of the emotions. But in the meditative practice, we're taking these three dimensions and bringing them together. Thought, in this particular case, don't make thought the enemy. In the first level of calm, the first level of samadhi, what the Buddha called jhana, or let's just call it calm, we use thinking. But rather than thinking to kind of figure something out, we're using thinking to direct our attention back. What the Buddha called vitaka. Using thought to direct us. I can use the thought to think of, how's it going in South Africa at our hermitage? Our new managers are there. Are they doing all right? How's my 94-year-old dad doing? Is, Is his new medicine still working, oh, giving a Dhamma talk. Notice how thought, (laughs) thought. So in this case, we're using thought to, ah, I'm sitting, breathing. That's that's, That's a support. We use thought, but we're moderating thought. This is very important. Okay, we can use thought to figure things out. We'll do that later. But if we always figuring things out with thought, we just think and think and think and get caught in circles. So it's useful to train ourselves to use a thought moderately. Short thought. Or a thought that dissolves. A thought that's pointing the attention where? Here, right here to the body. See the unification already starting to happen? This is a thought that's pointing us right here, here and now. A thought like, how is it now? That thought dissolves, but it points the attention here. How is it now? And then that which receives how it is, the Buddha, Buddha is amazing. That which receives how it is, is another kind of thought, but it's not a gross thought. He called it vichara. It's that which feels out. So the yang, a thought that points us, how is it now, or I'm sitting. And then the part of us that receives it, the part of the the mind that receives it and fills it out that explores it. This is the essence of of skill at relationship. It's being able to direct the attention and then be receptive. If we only have yang, you know, we're right there. Tell me how you are. Tell me how you are. It's really good to see you. You know, sometimes somebody's thinking they're having a conversation with us, but we feel pinned to the wall. (laughs) They're not seeing us. I don't know what they're seeing. Of course, I do it to other people sometimes, too. When I do it to Tanisha, she usually tells me, give me some space. 
That's a friend. <laughs> so, you know, okay, how are you? Or how is it? But then do we leave any space to then receive? It's like, you know, I have a clock. The, uh, the word clock can point my attention there. But then what allows us to notice its temperature, its weight, its color? And I'm starting to think, oh, time, and I get back lost into the Mayan calendar, whether I'm going to get into light next week. <laughs> then you need that directed thought back again, what's called Vitaka. Up, back. I'm studying the clock. And receive it. So the two work together. The yin and the yang. Yin is more receptive, yang is more directed. These two qualities, very important in that first level of calm. Don't be in too quick a place to, to just get rid of thought. Yes, once we're really here, then you don't need to keep telling yourself to be here. You're here and then thought might subside because you're right here. But thought is our friend. But we're moderating the thought. Letting it just be a word maybe. A phrase. I'm walking. So we can use a word that won't disturb the peace, deep level of peace. For example, you can use just, this sounds boring, but say if you're breathing in and out, you can be breathing in and just whisper the word in as the breath is in. That word just directs the attention, lets you know you're right here, you're aware, but it's not filling up the airspace too much, but just in. so that we're staying present. And then vichara, the receptive mind, can just stay right with the sensations, the tingling, the sensations, the pulses of the body, wherever you happen to be with your body. Then as the breath's going out, out, just a whisper. That's using a thought, using a vitaka. In Thailand, they use a mantra, oftentimes a word, buddho, B-U-D, D-H-O. It's the nominative case of Buddha. So it means this Buddha. This Buddha in here, me. That Buddha in there, you. It means the awakened one. So when they breathe in, if someone's using that technique, when we breathe in, we can just quietly, Buddha. So we breathe out, toe. Mind can... The image that comes to my mind is like if you're, we get big torrential rains sometimes in Africa and you can't see a thing. It's dangerous if you're driving. But the windshield wiper, you know, when it goes across, for a moment it clears everything. Oh, I can see. Whoa, it's a truck coming. Get over. <laughs> but then it clouds up and the windshield goes back. Oh. So there might be a lot of stuff going on. And then bud. When breathe in, let the sound be there and then dissolve. Let it dissolve into the receptive mind, the mind that stays with just how it is. So it's a thought that's not trying to figure something out. It's a thought that's just directing you here. Boop. So you breathe out, toe. If you get more quiet, you breathe in quiet, 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 don't say anything. Breathe out, buto. Just a little clears things for a moment. You can have your own word. Like, awake. 
or even even the seemingly boring word in and out if it, if you know what it's doing it's just helping us be here if one's a little busy and and the in and out is little not enough you need a little more oomph in it then you can if you're a little distracted you can even go peacefully I breathe in then that thought dissolves it helps you stay peacefully I breathe out so Thought is directing the attention to the body. And guess what? It's the heart, the heart that receives it. The feeling, knowing, resonant nature that receives it. So body, mind and heart, or what's called body, speech and mind, are all coming together. The heart... How are we encouraging the heart? Rather than through grasping, remember the Buddha says, we put aside, we encourage ourselves to subdue longing and distress, wanting something else, trying to get rid of, so those memories, those thoughts, those feelings will come. We can be patient with them, kind with them, for right now, can we just let them be? Let them be. Encourage ourselves to deepen our capacity to be rooted in something simple. So the way we train the heart is being patient rather than bullying the heart. Bullying the heart it might work for a little while, but it just rebels. Be kind. Notice praise. When we praise the Buddha, when we Praise that which is wise and compassionate. Notice how that softens and brightens the heart. When we're kind and patient with ourselves, that little by little soothes the heart. If we're in a bathtub and we see ripples and we want it to be peaceful, we pat that ripple down, be peaceful. And we slap that one down, be peaceful. Oh my goodness, be peaceful. And we suddenly are a drummer, which, okay. But, you know, we can receive, be patient, be kind. So the Buddha gave us tips, directing the thought at what's called vitaka vichara and receiving the next quality that really helps us in this practice, the Buddha called pitti. It's not the English word P-I-T-Y. It's, it's the word that means to, it's sometimes translated as rapture, but that's such a strong word. We think, oh goodness, nowhere near that. But the seed of rapture means to savor. It means to, rapture needs space. Because our energy, when it's distracted, is going over here, it's going over there. When we're bringing the attention back, this what's called great reversal of bringing the attention back here, rather than thinking we're going to get really true happiness just by getting somewhere, we're, we're, we're exploring the possibility of being more fully here. 
So as we work on that, then the energy that has been fractured, fragmented, sprayed, starts to become gathered. As that energy is gathered and wells up, that's how rapture grows. So even if you don't feel so good, and you think, oh God, there's no rapture here, then we think we have to go off somewhere else. No, we, we relax. We savor even that uncomfortable energy. We receive that. Like holding a baby. Soothe it. Breathe into it. We're permeating this body with breath. Permeating this body with awareness. The blessing power is in awareness. That which massages it, little by little allows the blocks to be penetrated through, is the the breath element, the vibratory element. So we're mixing awareness with the vibratory element with the body. These first few days, energies is, is heavy, can be heavy and fragmented, but this is the healing aspect of the path. We're taking these different dimensions of our being, bringing them together, savoring, receiving, tasting, even when we don't feel so good, allowing ourselves to enjoy that, to be patient with that kind with those feelings of just ordinary standing, sitting, walking, lying down. If we can, with each vitaka, with each directed thought, reminding ourselves, oh, how is it now? How is it now? Staying in touch with the actuality of the present moment. The Buddha also encouraged us to another supporting factor is what he called sukha or ease, relaxing. Remember, it's not getting somewhere else. It's learning to be more here, relaxing. That then allows the unification to happen. establishing ourselves in presence, in sitting and walking, whatever we're doing, paying attention to actually how it is, in something even ordinary, letting the thought just direct us there and then go quiet and just receiving, even the sensation at the nostrils. As we breathe in, can we be attentive to, receive that, for an in-breath. Rather than think, I've got to be mindful for the whole period. Let's try an in-breath. Can I be mindful for an in-breath? Can I be mindful, present for an out-breath? Then we, then we lose it. Okay. 
be kind. Oh, get back there. God, you are hopeless. God, look at them. They're all, see, they're all in samadhi, every one of them. <laughs> you should put a megaphone on each of us. You know, be kind. Give ourselves credit for a mindful in-breath or even a half an in-breath. We're at least trying. This is hard work. It is hard work. It's challenging. But when we don't train the mind, an untrained mind creates the chaos in the world that we all know. It's hard to train the mind. The Buddha even said once it's easier to conquer, what, 10,000 warriors in hand-to-hand combat. Then why do it? Well, because if we don't do it, it's a lot of trouble. So give ourselves the rest of our life to little by little by little by little get more patient. Little by little by little by little get more ability to be with what we're doing. And what are the blessings? Even a little bit of skill allows us to develop what the Buddha called a pleasing, abiding here and now. A pleasant way of being. That's the first blessing that little by little for the rest of our life we can cultivate. Learning to be with, enjoy the simplicity of standing for a few moments. Ah. What's next? What's next? Let that what's next come. Thank you for the tip. Let it go. And, and, and let thoughts say, ah, standing, butto, be awake, pleasing abiding, get more ability to relax, to be with a sensation, and then remember the Buddha taught us to learn how to, to expand our attention so that we can little by little learn to be sensitive to our whole body. To enjoy sitting, to enjoy lying down, to enjoy walking, to enjoy opening a door, to enjoy putting on our shoe, taking off our shoe. Oh, that's not important. Got to get to the important stuff. There's nothing about shoes and enlightenment. And just feeling that hurriedness, hurriedness, and we let we notice that ghost, let it wash over us. Let it wash over us and just practice just being with mindfully, ah, opening the door, mindfully standing, beginning again, 10 times, 20 times, 100 times. It's all right. First blessing, we little by little develop more capacity to enjoy simple things. Second blessing, we become present for our life. There's a blessing of just being alert, awake for our life. Third blessing the Buddha talked about is then knowledge comes from that. When the mind is more clear, then we're more able to understand, to see things, to recognize a situation when we're mindful. Oh, so-and-so's angry. I better not say so much. You know, when we're mindful and present, we then 
presence then reveals the nature of things. Like if I want to learn about the clock, I put my attention on it and then the revelation happens. So knowledge, understanding starts to come. And the final, the, the most profound blessing of this practice is it liberates us. Rather than getting ahead of ourselves so much, these first few days we're really focusing on, on just, can we be simple? Moderate thought rather than thinking so much. Let our thoughts just remind us to be here. Sitting, walking, and receive. And allow the, the currents of all our habits to wash through us, wash over us. To little by little let this patient, kind, cultivation of presence, little by little, transform our energy. And keep namo, keep returning. Returning to our refuge, our true refuge, remembering if we can have a little faith in the saints and sages, they've all told us that the phenomenal world is unsteady, it's unstable. That the most that our true home ground is in awareness. So namo, keep returning to, surrendering to, learning to rest back into that inner listening. And the conditions will change. They'll be feeling good and not feeling good. They'll be dawn and dusk. Dawn turns to dusk. Feeling good, not feeling good. But if we make our refuge awareness, it's, it's a place of steadiness, a place of stillness, a place of radiance. We'll have a bowing practice in, in the morning for those who wish to join in, uh, where we'll be bowing to the one compassionate one who listens to the sounds of the world, will be bowing into our deepest place that listens, learning to rest there for a moment, touching that ground, that deep place of awareness, of listening, that can receive and be with and respond to life. So I encourage you, don't despair. I think we're doing great that we're still here after a day and a night. It's hard work. It is important. This is a very wonderful gift we're giving, not only to ourselves, but to our families and to our world. In the midst of these streams and currents, developing some steadiness, some patience, some kindness. So take heart. We're, we're walking the path that's been walked by wise men and women over the ages. And it's a path that's more and more, it's a path to the one, a direct path that keeps taking us home, home to this original brightness, this luminosity. So be kind to yourselves and let's uh, stay with it.
May the goodness of our work, the many, many blessings through our moments of mindfulness, patience, our efforts to live together harmoniously, sensitively. May these many blessings suffuse our whole body from the crown of our head down through the soles of the feet. May it illumine our hearts. May these blessings be shared with each other, with our families, ancestors, children, grandchildren, friends, associates, those we know, those we don't know, with all beings near and far. The blessings of our work be shared for the welfare of all beings. Letting this Intention be extended with the mantra Om Mani Padme Hum. The great compassion mantra of Kuan Yin that honors the jewel at the heart of every being. The shining true nature of all beings. May all beings wake up to this. peaceful heart.
for those who need to rest, you're welcome to rest. Or for those who wish to practice some more, there's still some opportunities to practice. Also, I'd like to make an announcement. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Tanisha and I will begin seeing people in small groups. So we'll see half of the group tomorrow in small groups in each of the walking periods at 9.30, 2.30, and at 4 o'clock. So tomorrow we'll see half of you, and then on Monday we'll see the other half. So if you could please uh, look at the board on your way out, just to check when you're, to see if you're on that group, uh, because there will be a group uh, tomorrow right after the instructions. And don't worry if you're not, if you're not on that list, you'll be on the Monday list. So, good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.